Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Podcast starts now. Um, podcast starts now. Welcome to Stradio Lab, the podcast where two gay guys unpack the multifaceted and multicolored tapestry of straight culture while also, yeah, commenting in a meta capacity on the art form of podcasting and the idea of being a comedian turned podcaster who is or is not gay. <laughs> Wow, you know, that was such a full um, explanation, and I'm so glad I got to hear it through you. You know, I feel like, not to take credit, I, mm. I carry this podcast intro on my back. You I do, and that's why I wanted to immediately go in. I, I thought, I said, this is my, th- this episode is my episode. You said, this episode is my fight song, and I'm going to give it yeah. my all. <laughs> <laughs> this is very, this is the part, this is like in Me Against the Music, where Madonna goes, and me. <laughs> Yeah, we've been... this episode to me is where I is where I finally shine. You know, forty eight episodes, it's been me going, it's just me, and then on the forty ninth episode, you go and me. Yes, and I think 100%. that is so so powerful. It's powerful. It's also really kind of um, I would say very problematic in in a post free Britney world that now I think it's my time is <laughs> it's the time for Madonna to shine. I'm like. <laughs> You know how there's like, um, you know, we're kind of like reconsidering the reputations of various women that were treated poorly by the media. I want to think of one that like was actually evil and be like, um, time to <laughs> time to apologize to her. <laughs> like, I'm trying to think who that would be. 
who is actually evil. I mean, I kind of like Madeline Albright. <laughs> no, like I want to. You know what? I'm gonna do like Margaret Thatcher. I'm gonna be like, you know what? If we're apologizing to Britney, apologize to Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> Uh, do you think MIA deserves an apology? Um, I have always lived for MIA, so she certainly does not deserve one for me. <laughs> <laughs> I have also always lived for MIA, but she also was all remember that like her toxic era and not everyone the, the track. Here's but... <laughs> listen. <laughs> I'm sure our guests will have a lot to say about this. But I truly think sometimes people who are eccentrics are there needs to be a certain capacity there's a certain capacity for for um forgiveness even if they do things that are technically unforgivable should i actually you know what i take all that back <laughs> our guest has left the room by the way yeah we, he, we, we must have really he literally him. has he's left the room he left the, the window room. is empty <laughs> we're completely without a guest right oh, now. oh there he is she's <laughs> back um okay well, wait so Sorry, I take what I said back. I don't think people should be forgiven for anything. And I think Margaret Thatcher is a Slay Queen. Um, Here's what I want to talk about while we're talking about Slay Queen. George, you mentioned to me before this episode started that you've been rewatching Sex and the City and you've been liking it. Well, I've rewatched Sex and the City many times. I... I think Sex and City is one of those shows that in the past I always rewatch thinking it's going to be comforting and I am so blown away with how stupid it is that it makes me so viscerally angry that I actually that I really that I really struggle with it and this time this was one of the first times I watched it and it had the effect that I wanted it to have until then I got to the episode where Samantha literally like commits a hate crime and it's played for laughs yeah, well, that you know, that's a that's a bad app. What I'm mostly enjoying this time around is Carrie's is the, is realizing how complex of a character Carrie is. How so? Because she is the, and I know this is such a cliche thing to be like, oh, she's the original antihero, or like, oh, people liked it when Tony Soprano was an antihero, but not when a woman was. And you do realize she is actually like such an unlikable, terrible person with all the wrong priorities who keeps hurting those around her because of her selfishness. Yeah, yeah, she's bad. No, I, I, I just I, watched the episode where she brings Big to Aiden's country home while she's there with Aiden. And they had previously broken up because she cheated on him with Big. Yeah, she's a manipulator. She's psychotic. She's got a shopping addiction. She's okay, well, <laughs> weird that you would include that. <laughs> she loves shoes, George. It's so much so that she sometimes cannot pay rent. If it's that's true. not an addiction, I don't know what is. Well, you know, she's labels in love. <laughs> do you think that one was something where like they tried to do the rule of threes and they just couldn't think of a third thing that started with an L? <laughs> <laughs> like labels, love, and libel? And, uh, labels, love, and lobotomy. Well... Ooh, that's a nice merch. That's actually not that bad. Yeah, okay. That works. Okay, wait, George. Sex and the City reboot is happening. You get to play a character on it. What is your role? Okay, first of all, what if I played Samantha and it was just me in a wig? I would say <laughs> okay, that's my fir- the first thing I can think of. Okay, good. Second thing is what if I played either Mario Cantone or uh, the other gay guys like... Cub? Third? Like, <gasps> oh, are they... Oh, they got together. What if they I played together. their younger third i would love that that's genius so that's my second option and then i also would love to 
play literally Jennifer Hudson's role in the first movie. <laughs> Louise from St. Louis. <laughs> yeah, I think you would crush that role. Thank you. What do you want to, what would you play? I see myself as like Charlotte's nanny. Like, okay. sort of like, um, yeah, like I'm, maybe I'm a struggling actor and, mm-hmm. um, but, and, and yeah, but I, I'm her nanny during the day. Here's a question. How old is Brady? Oh my God, he's what, 25? <laughs> okay, so what if Brady is gay and I play Brady's boyfriend? That actually would be my ideal role, I think. That's iconic. And Brady, because he's like a redhead, would be played by Rupert Grint. Rupert Grint or KJ Appa. And then and then I would play the boyfriend with a dark secret, which is that I'm fucking Samantha. I love that. Thank Off you. screen always. Yeah. <laughs> God, I have to say, it really is. It's grim that that show is coming back. Anyway, should we welcome um, our guest? Yeah, let's welcome our guest. Um, well, he's... you know him from his role, upcoming role as Samantha in the Sex and the City reboot. Please put your paws up for Jeremy <laughs> O'Harris. <laughs> actually, it's actually funny. I, I'm about to be on a podcast about Sex and the City. I don't listen to podcasts, so I've never listened to yours. That um, is totally fine. I feel like I had to say that um, to be completely transparent um, about because I, I don't know what I'm about to get myself into. But I um, I am about to be on a podcast. It's about what like it's like rewriting Sex and the City as you would write it or whatever. It's like that's the sort of premise. Uh, my friend uh, yeah. Laura mm-hmm. came up with it. And um, I my pitch is that my my character in Sex and the City is Carrie. Um, because I think that what should happen <laughs> in the reboot of Sex and the City is that someone else at like Vogue or the New York Daily what 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 was her mag what, who did she write for the New York Daily News or something? But my idea is that like New York the Star. voiceover starts like the dun 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 dun, dun yeah. but it like has like maybe like some eight oh eights and it's like boom 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 it's like a little bit like you know secessiony and then like my voice comes on and I start talking about my day. And how, like, me and my group of gay friends, like, have, like, run into these, like, old hags um, (laughs) that, like, that were, like, the original Sex and the City girls. And it becomes this whole thing of, like, Carrie trying to reclaim her story from these young gay men who, like, have taken it. Um, The main gay one being the main gay man. And who originally wrote it. I mean, okay, wait. (laughs) I have to say, this is interesting because something I've realized during this rewatch is just how much Sex and the City is like gay men's uh, view of heterosexuality, where they're oh, 100%. like, it's literally like they, it's like gay men looking at straight people and being like, "What's all this then?" Like, <laughs> <laughs> and then trying to like work it out on the page. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, an early show of mine uh, was that live on Broadway, where it was just gay male comedians performing in an episode of Sex and the City as if it's a piece of dramatic theater. Yeah, because yes. it was like this this show just you just it should be gay men's voices saying these words. This is clearly yeah, it's weird. It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's also just like the way the cruelty gay men and women being so cruel to one another. Yes. Both behind the scenes and in front of the camera. I also find it really <laughs> curious and interesting in my own life to witness the ways in which I've like conversely I'm most I'm most often championed a lot by I've been championed in educational environments uh, um, by a lot of white women um 
like some of my favorite professors have been white women. Um, my biggest champions in that arena have been white women. Most uh, people who work in the theater industry as literary managers are white women. Um, but in my professional world, it's been white straight men who have been the biggest champion in like film and television, right? Because they they run everything. And how that has then set out this weird professional dynamic where oftentimes I feel as though I'm on the other end in sort of our like fight for uh, identitarian like supremacy um, or like minoritarian supremacy. <laughs> I'm like my black gay maleness is constantly in confrontation with like uh, white womanhood. Um, and I feel like I hit, I get hit with the most like sort of uh, microaggressions from quote unquote Karens in professional writing environments. Um, so I think that could be a really interesting thing to play with in Sex and the City, because I feel like there is a thing where like Samantha, Charlotte and um, Samantha, Charlotte, Carrie and Miranda are probably all confronted with some like, you know, gay man possibly a gay man of color in their work environment who's gotten some promotion that they felt like they should have gotten. Um, partially because George Floyd just happened. You know, like, yes. they're, like, they're like, wait a second. Like, <laughs> we just got, we just me too'd everyone. And now there's a like race me too. Like, no, like that's not okay. Oh God, someone's going to yeah. take this and cancel I mean, me. But I mean, it's true. I think there's a real. No, no, no. I mean, Sex and the City didn't tackle 9-11. I would love to watch them attempt to tackle uh, post-George Floyd. That would be just such a stumble for them that that would be heavenly <laughs> to see. I mean, I'd say they have hired, like, first of all, I it's like a pretty much all women writer's room except for, um, God, what's his name? The creator. Darren? Michael Patrick King. Michael or Patrick Michael King, Michael. yes. Thank you. Or I guess the creator was Darren like, Starr, but I think it's now M Michael Patrick King is is in the room, or at confused. least in the photo that I saw. Um, <laughs> anyway, so it is actually women writing it, which is interesting. Women writing women's stories, I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but I do think it's actually, as far as I know, because I'm aware of two of them, like it is women that actually like are very well versed in politics and in my instinct is that they will try to tackle those things. Wow! I'm excited. I mean, go off if you can do it. I'm also. I mean, really it is interested in this thing. Oh, sorry. No, 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 go ahead. I just, I am really interested in more writers' rooms for gay series being full of women, like a hundred percent. So, so it's okay. So this is something I've been, and I actually want to talk to you, Jeremy, about Nomadland because you made a face when I talked about it. I generally am interested in. Okay, you know how there's this dynamic that is that has been in retroactively kind of and and correctly deemed problematic where it's like people that have more power in society kind of casting a gaze on people with less power. So you have like, you know, the classic white anthropologist studying tribes and like a, a male filmmaker writing offensive characters to women, whatever. And I think now with the trend is to essentially write what you know to be like, okay, we're going to hire gay people for gay stories, women for female stories. I'm really interested in basically like reversing that power dynamic for with Nomadland. I thought it was interesting that Chloe Zhao, who is Chinese, cast a, a non-American gaze on like Americana. And I, I thought that was like an interesting place to start. I mean, wh whether or not I like the end product is like a different story. But like, I think having, you know, 
a, a reverse Sex in the City where a group of women <laughs> write about like a fence, write a series of characters that are literally like all Mario Kanto <laughs> <laughs> could really be something. <laughs> well, I thought it was really interesting to see how many gay men in this sort of like really emotionally stilted way had anger about Hanya writing a little life and it becoming so popular. I know. And becoming this thing. I know. Like, it was so violent to gay men. Like, who is this woman? And I'm like, I'm sorry. Have you missed all of Western culture's major portrayals of female characters? Yeah. Because faggots wrote all of them. And guess what? Blanche Dubois does not have a very good time inside of, yes. like, you know, the queer psychodrama of... Tennessee Williams and that's also okay because a lot of actresses I know love being inside of that psychodrama right and in the same way I I mean the Hanya thing is such a great example of it I think at this point it has become completely seen as true that a little life is bad among like a certain set of uh you know educated and and <laughs> and socially conscious gay men and i or to you, this day you defend angry gay men i think they're just an angry, angry. game yeah. <laughs> yes they're mad that they did not have the juice to write that story but I, i'm sorry but I, that book is like truly i mean she talk about someone who was like i'm gonna snap yes <laughs> she like, she started writing that book and she was like oh oh you faggots are not ready for what is about to happen <laughs> wow i mean that's an, a, a powerful forward i'm yeah, I mean, and I'm here. I am so Hanya. uninterested in my thing is that I want every every minoritarian to have the mic right now. I also don't know that I want every minoritarian or every person who's from a minority group to feel like they have to like come out and only tell stories about that minority group. Because oftentimes one of the powers of being in a minority group is being uh, forced into a space of witnessing more often than um, than engaging, right? Um, you're forced into a supporting role often in your real life. Like how many times as a gay man have you went to your straight friend and been like, oh, this is going on in my life. And before you can even finish telling telling something about your small relationship thing, they've taken the mic and given you a two-hour soliloquy about all of the intricacies of heterosexuality <laughs> and their own psychodrama. <laughs> and I feel like now, because I haven't been able to process my own shit as well, maybe it's more fun for me to process straight people's shit, you know? 100%. I mean, think about like a movie like American Psycho. Would I prefer to watch American Psycho or... Because it can tell you something a lot about yeah. like what it means to be a woman inside of a business. I mean, think of how few women get to speak in that movie and what she's saying in that, you know? And which brings me back to my main point. Women should generally not speak in film. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And that's why I was rooting for Chloe, but I don't know. But she didn't like the movie. I don't know. I had... I um. Well, I'll tell you this. It it used a lot. Of, so it's about a woman, Frances McDormand, <laughs> who um, leaves her life behind and kind of decides to become a modern day nomad. When the movie so is like, about Frances McDormand, I'm happy. Right. <laughs> and thank God. And when thank it's God, God, starring and, and about articulated. I'm in. <laughs> after George said that he doesn't like movies about women, it was game over for Frances McDormand. <laughs> um. I don't know. I just, so she used a lot of real life nomads in supporting roles. And I found myself actually caring more about them than about the main character I was supposed to care about, which is Frances McDormand. I saw the movie at Venice Film Festival. And 
again, I have to I have to say that um, my opinions are often uh, I'm I'm someone who like does not have static opinions, which is why I often am online yelling at critics who've seen movies once and then like say the most heinous things about them because I feel like that's like an inside thing. Um, I don't think an, a like um, heinous takes need to be an outside thing necessarily because something we know about subjective media is that meeting it at different moments or different times changes how we engage with it. Um, but I will say that because I was at Venice and had seen three movies that were like hyper narrative driven before I saw Nomadland and yet was told by everyone, oh, just wait. Nomadland is the greatest movie I've mm -hmm. ever seen. I was expecting something yeah. that would excite my narrative uh, hunger more uh, deeper than this film did. And I think because I had read the long read of this that like inspired this movie, I felt less enthralled by the narrative thrust of it. And because I also am from well, a wildly yeah. working class and like, one could say poor family background. I am very protective of stories about poor people. And I felt as though I also wanted to see more, um, more complexities uh, or, and, and know more about the lives of some of these real nomads. And I wanted to see um, inside of the arc of the lead character. Right. I felt like it, like um, it wallowed in certain parts of their life. Um, certain details of their lives that I found um, like pornographic um, in ways that uh, other aspects might not have. And again, that's no shame on any anyone who made this movie or any stories they want to tell, or even if you liked it. I just think that it didn't work for me at the moment I met it. Yeah, no, it's, and I have to say, I like, for all my complaints about it are more about like, it's, politics maybe as a movie i thought it was very well made i think it's very exciting that she's getting attention and i think i mean it's honestly kind of sad that she is now going to do a marvel movie but you know uh god bless but um yeah i don't there was literally like at one point she works at an amazon fulfillment center and one and she literally is like well it's good money mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like no like actually literally because i've read the way what you're talking about too literally part of that Part of the the real story of these people is that it's not good money. And that was an interesting thing in the film that was very frustrating for me because, again, knowing how films are made, it was like, oh, wow, Amazon lets you shoot in their yes. actual buildings and with their exactly. signage. So you can't – were you allowed to be as critical of that space as you would have been if they, if you hadn't used that space, if you had just been working at like Flamazon, you know, um, that would have taken some of <laughs> yes. the similitude away from it. But would you have been more free yeah. to, um, you know, dig in? Yes. Um, no, I, sorry, Sam, I know you have, I, I'm going to change the topic because I know you haven't seen the movie. And well, I don't you know, it. it's funny, George, we, you know, we bonded early on about having both listened to Slate's Culture Gab Fest a lot. And now we are completely doing Culture Gab Fest. Drag. I know, I'm sorry. This is, uh, you know, Stradio Lab, we're sort of post podcast. And yet this is sort of just a, a sincere discussion of a, a film that is, you know, <laughs> currently being talked about. I, 
how far we've fallen. I, I'm disappointed. <laughs> I'm I'm sad. Right. Uh, you know. I mean, for me, a, a big turning point <laughs> recently is that I now. I've turned away from my standum of Stephen Metcalf on, Clay, on Slate Culture Gab Fest. <laughs> and I find myself more relating to um, to Dana and even at times Julia. I wow. love the idea that like I show up on the show and it becomes Culture Gab Fest because I do think that, that it's like my main <laughs> modus operandi. It's being like a Culture Gab Fest for everyone. Like, have you read this new book? It's by Brontes Purnell. You should check it out. <laughs> well, I mean, I do think, Jeremy, I don't know if you've ever listened to Culture Gap Fest, but like the two women, the two white women that co-hosted along with Stephen Metcalf are exactly the women that you are describing as championing you. <laughs> like, They are exactly the professors you would have that would be like, Oh my god, what an exciting new voice. <laughs> but also they are exactly the same like microaggression thing because they'll like I remember when they reviewed Billy on the street and they were like, I just didn't get it. Like it just seemed kind of aggressive. And it was like, yeah, that's the point. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, you're so used to like people being extremely polite. Yeah. There's like a different style of talking. <laughs> yeah. Recently, Stephen has been doing a lot of I'm listening and learning. He'll uh-huh. just be like, well, you know, as a ultimately middle-aged, <laughs> Mostly heterosexual, straight. heteronormative even, white, <laughs> male, I don't know if uh, ultimately maybe what's more productive for me is to not speak. I mean, I wonder that about a lot of white people who have been saying that a lot and yet haven't quit their jobs. Like, (laughs) um, I'm happy you all haven't said that yet, because if so, you should have just given me an IO your podcast, right? Like, um, I don't know if IO is queer, but uh, they like, and again, I don't know what pronouns IO uses. um, So I'm going to I'm just going to use neutral ones. Um, They uh, feel like queer adjacent to me. Um, and if you were actually woke, you would have already um, moved away from your post and given the mics to us. But you haven't. Um, and I appreciate that because it's Are you and Io? Yeah, of course. But we're being honest. We've, we've never lied about what this is. <laughs> no. <laughs> it is a space for white men to be white men. This is what you know. If you are a white gay man, just let your hair down and 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 welcome. Well, you know what I think though. Just to 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 kind of push back on this a little bit, I actually think um, that based on our emails, a lot of our listeners are are women and 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 non-binary people. This is tr- purely anecdotally based on um, the emails we get, and so I think what we're doing is performing a sort of auto, like we are humiliating. Our, we we their critique is baked into our existences where we are like look at how fucking stupid white gays are and then people listen to it and they're like oh wow they're clowns you know like they're kind of self-referential and we're doing it in a way that's not like because i also hate the self-aggrandizing way that you know white gay men are like white gays it's like we're not doing that (laughs) we are we are living the critique we are we are we are living the critique in fact the more we speak the more space we take up that is space that has been in this in the same way that a space can be queered that space has been critiqued so at that point there's nothing within that space that we can do that is problematic because by virtue of existing we have already covered all our bases i mean in many ways and this is obvious but it's christ-like what we do is christ-like yes. <laughs> <laughs> like i don't think it's, it's hard to explain but we just are being christ-like figures christ was the original person that would walk in and be like 
yeah, it turned this water into wine, but ironically, <laughs> like it was, it was not a big deal. It's more of like to comment on like religion and magic and like, <laughs> and the idea of like alcohol and non-alcoholic beverages in sort of our value system. And, and why, why is system. this more magical than just drinking water? If you think about it. <laughs> yes. No, 100%. It's like, we are doing the turning water into wine, but we turn a podcast into, um, Wine as well. a, a, a bad podcast. We turn a good <laughs> podcast into a bad podcast. We take, and we yeah, say, we take we take beautiful guests, incredible yes. topics, and we turn them all into um, nothing. We say we, what is, we say. say look, say, we say you think this is good. Actually, it could be bad. <laughs> I wonder as well what makes a good podcast because I have yet to understand. And what now that. this is the question. And now this the is question. exactly the key to, well, to millions of dollars for one, but. Um, <laughs> Jeremy, what will your dream podcast be as a listener? Oh God, not a podcast. My dream podcast right. well, is same. a good film. Yeah. You know? Okay. Interesting. It's like a very good film made by Claire Denis. It's like oh my Claire God. Denis. It's My best podcast is Claire Denis going back to Africa to make a film. I was literally going to say I as a joke that. that it would be Beau Travail. <laughs> and then oh you said God. Claire Denis. Are you serious? Yeah. I'm dead serious. Because I was just... Um, I've been trying to, well, we don't have to go into this. I've been trying to kind of get through her films recently. Have you seen 35 Shots of Rum? Bitch, Film Corner has passed. Um, So the reason (laughs) I had to go to the restroom just now um, was because I had to pee, but also because I still haven't gotten over the fact that two white men decided to discuss the villainy of MIA while I was on the call without you know what I'm actually really glad you brought that up thank you for getting it back there (laughs) I just had to bring that up um (laughs) it was sitting heavy on my spirit (laughs) so so here's my thing with MIA to me I've I've never like looked into why people don't like MIA I always liked her music so I so that's kind of where I'm coming from and so I was so when Sam asked I was like yeah I don't know I always liked MIA but then I was like oh god what if she said something that was like really terrible and I just don't know about it so I I should backtrack like what if she was literally like you know, I don't know. I'm a Holocaust denier or something. It's I don't want that on my back. So I was just like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna backtrack, and then we never revisited. I, I genuinely, and again, hopefully, someone will watch this and like footnote it in like in some response and be like, oh, this is why Jeremy is problematic because he didn't remember this. But again, tell me, and I'll remember it now. But I thought that the whole thing that delegitimized her was marrying a billionaire. And uh, oh sure, and and eating truffle fries in that one interview, which was a setup by that white guy <laughs> in New York Times. Yes. Well, one, you know, I think we can all agree, cancel culture has gone too far when you can't marry a billionaire without um, <laughs> having a beautiful career. Still, <laughs> I think the anti-billionaire sentiment is just running rampant, and it's disgusting, <laughs> and it's un-American, frankly. The way that it affected both MIA and Grimes, two of my ultimately favorite musicians. I think (laughs) I actually think just like women, like (laughs) Mia Saoirse Ronan, women should be able to marry billionaires. (laughs) I, yeah, I mean, also MIA, the, the trouble device thing was when she then tweeted out the, the writer's phone number, the sort of, Uh, um, you know, bringing doxing to a whole new level, uh, popularizing it among many. I, I don't think I had heard of doxing until that moment. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and ever since then, I've been addicted to this stuff. I, yeah. I, I love it, but she, I think I that love, was, I love part of the problem. Manic. 
And I love people who, uh, who really like, like if they're like, you've harmed me, I will run you to the ground. And like, you know, (laughs) nothing runs you to the ground, like getting 5 billion text messages from random people. Um, (laughs) Again, I feel complicated about like successful women marrying billionaires, because like, as we all know, successful women have a hard time um, finding men who don't feel uh, intimidated by them. Um, and so, you know, right, you know right. how, you see like, you know, masculinity come into crisis when a woman just like is a manager at a footlocker, you know, like imagine if she also is performing at the <laughs> Super Bowl, you know, like it takes a really big guy to do that. You have to be a billionaire like Jay-Z, Elon Musk, or whoever it was <laughs> that she married that one time. And also the one that Adele married, you know? Oh, I didn't know that. He was like very well. Well, I was just going to say that Serena Williams also married a billionaire. Yeah. Sheesh. But I, I don't know. I don't care. (laughs) I mean, I, as a successful um, gay man, I, who, you know, found myself constantly in relationships with men that would be going well until they came into some sort of like ego crisis. I had to start dating a man who had a Rolex. Mm. You were there when I started dating him. Wow. Yeah. Yes, I was. But I did not he, know he had um, a Rolex. He wore Rolex. But I do remember. First time he had um, sex. And I was like, and, that, and, he's maintaining his power. Huh. Wow. Interesting. That's hot. Unfortunately, that is, that's that is, hot. God, remember? Yeah. So this, Jeremy and I ran into each other in the Athens airport after he was coming back from his wild um, sexcapade. Wow. <laughs> it was Wait, let, we, we in Athens. <laughs> yeah. And at this point, it was like two years ago? Yes. We have to say that because now if we say that, people are like, whoa, Jeremy and George went to Athens in the middle of a global Yes, pandemic. not not amid COVID, as the Daily Mail would say. <laughs> um, let's do our first segment. Okay, let's do our first segment. Yeah. Sam, it's, it's been take too it late, too late. So, Jeremy, we're going to ask you a series of rapid-fire questions. You have to just pick A or B, and if you ask us any follow-up questions, we'll get furious at you. Great. Got it? <laughs> yes. Okay, George, you start. Okay, Jeremy, Nomadland or Disneyland? Neither. <laughs> okay, Jeremy, Britney Spears or picking up some beers? Britney Spears. World War or WordPress? Those don't, uh, how do those relate? <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh my God, you can't they ask don't, anything. This is more of a data exercise. <laughs> <laughs> um, WordPress? Okay, um, King Kong or Bing Bang Bong, Sing Sang Song, Ding <laughs> Dang Dong, UK, hun. Um, B. <laughs> Jeremy, um, Lars von Trier or Lars and the Real Girl? Lars von Trier. Lars von Trier. Okay, Jeremy. <laughs> Quarterback, snack attack, or hit it from the back? Um, those are three now, right? Or is it like. Is it a yeah, you have to we're upping the difficulty because you're doing such a good job. We're upping the difficulty. I would, I would say A. Also, I want the readership to know that you are dressed like Lars and the Real Girl right now. Like Sam, you're dressed, is. Sam is dressed oh, like yeah, Lars from Lars and the Real Girl right yeah, now. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. Sam does have the look of someone in a Sundance comedy. Ugh. Yes. If anyone's listening. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Jeremy, Growing Pains or Chaos Reigns? Chaos reigns. Okay, Jeremy. Writing a Twitter thread or being declared legally dead? 
being declared legally dead. <laughs> and that's a wrap of that. And that's a wrap God, what I wouldn't that. give to be declared legally dead. <laughs> wow, what a relief. One day. I know. Um, okay. Wait, let's, you know what? I think we need to just like. Uh, get into the topic. Get into the topic. Great. I think we need to get into the topic because, you know, we got really deep into Film Corner and, um, and we, you know, and then we talked about the billionaires and that was kind of fun. We were, yeah. so, so things are really starting to heat up here on the podcast. Can and I ask you something before we continue? Wait, one thing. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy asked what a, makes a good podcast and my working theater theory is, theory. um, theater. The working theater. Oh my God. <laughs> I have a book about the working theater right here. <laughs> Jeremy, of course you do. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's one of the no, best my, um, ever. <laughs> My theory is um, a podcast must be juicy in order to um, be good. Yes. You got to give the girl something to talk about. Sam, my question for you is, I want to get this out in the open before we continue. Are you mad that I spend too much time talking about movies? <laughs> <laughs> Am I mad? I think um, you're like 20% mad. You know, I wouldn't say anger is the feeling. Um Maybe I feel some sort of missed opportunity. Um, you know, I guess I, f I think I'm filled with a little fear. Uh, I think maybe our listeners come to this show, you know, to have a laugh. Um, yes, we're smart. We're thoughtful. But mostly we're funny. And, you know, <laughs> to sort of commit fully to just the smart and thoughtful, I thought right. was it's a dangerous move. It's risky. And it yeah. sets a really bad precedent. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so you're not I mean, mad as much as devastated. <laughs> I just think the norms of this podcast are breaking down at such a rate that yeah. I'm fearful of the future. Sure. To me, we reached our height when we had that kind of riff about how we are uh, critiquing ourselves as we exist or whatever. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, that made up for everything else I've ever done in my life. <laughs> Well, I think we can start on a clean slate. Okay. Fine. Um, podcast starts now. Podcast starts now. <laughs> Introduce the topic now. <laughs> okay. So the topic, um, you know, I thought it would be juicy. Um, so Jeremy and I went to high school together in Martinsville, Virginia. Um, and so I thought it would be fun to um, talk both about our high school experience and high school in general, if, you know, that's not working. But I think we have um, something juicy in there. <laughs> Jeremy. And I have, been assigned the, I, I have been assigned the role of peer mediator in Sam's words. <laughs> I, said, I said, you know, you, there's a lot of heavy lifting for you to do in this episode. So, you know, kind of. Are you ready emotionally, psychically? And then he said, yes, but you're expect, you know, you have the role of peer mediator. So I will jump in whenever I feel like someone is being in any way um, <laughs> erased or marginalized or um, rewritten even. I also want to articulate to the to this podcast that I thought I was going on the red table today. So all of this <laughs> other stuff feels like a weird. It felt like it felt like you were leading me into a trap, and I was right. Um, yes. The red table is mm -hmm. here, mm -hmm. um, and I'm excited. <laughs> I wish we had started straight away at the red table. And um, if we are at the yeah. red table, I feel as though you're more, you're less peer mediator and more um, Jada Pinkett Smith's mother. You know that, or oh, oh sure, actually. Yes. Um, she, yes, they, I'm aware. <laughs> they, they both generally play mediation whenever Will and Jada are on the show together. Mm -hmm. It's a sort of a Will and Jada meetup, which gives people like this a is kind of a Will and Jada meetup. 
what 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 kind of things happen you guys are well in jail yeah so well i'm ready i'm in character i will be doing kind of a wildly offensive impression um (laughs) and i'm ready to begin (laughs) okay so yeah like where do we start jeremy okay i feel like okay i feel like i want to just put it all out on the table and i would Mm -hmm. love to hear your experience of the one year we went to high school together so we went to high school for one year. I moved there. Uh, was that I moved there sophomore year, the end of sophomore year? Yes. Was it was it sophomore and junior year, or was it just no, sophomore because year? I was I went back to private school junior and senior year. Oh, okay. Wow. So we really packed a lot into this year, this yes. sophomore year. Yes. So I moved to Martinsville, Virginia from um, Michigan, and I meet uh, you and uh, your crew, (laughs) 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 which I would describe as the, like, smart, weird, nerdy kids, right? Mm -hmm. They were the popular kids, but also because they were wealthy and in the smart, like anyone who lived in Mulberry or Chatmoss which is like mm-hmm. the wealthy suburb. Generally, those kids ended up in gifted and talented. Wow. How did, how was that possible? Who knows? This is a public <laughs> school. And somehow the kids who would have been at the private school I was at before the school um, ended up at this, in the gifted and talented program, separated from all of the uh, black kids uh, generally um, and poor white kids from the community. So that was the clique I was in. Because I was yes. the rare black and poor person who was in gifted and talented. Yeah. Um, and so I like start making friends with kind of your crew, uh, your circle. And um, and then the bullying begins. <laughs> and then your circle was was mean to me okay so now describe from your end how that happened (laughs) okay so on my end i have been going to this private school and then my mother uh because of like uh you know a second divorce um could no longer afford to keep me in that school so i had to go to the public school where the first day of that public school my freshman year i was like heinously beat up for reading harry potter at lunch um because someone was like what the fuck you doing reading a book at lunch and i was like what <laughs> and they like slapped the book out of my hand and then um i was like beat up or then i slapped him like a girl um and then they were like he hits like a girl and then they all beat me up um which i'm like if i hit like a girl why does it take three men to beat me up anyway whatever um i um then was sort of <laughs> adopted by the seniors in the gifted and talented program and they were like, why aren't you in Gifted and Talented? Like, you seem smart. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And so then I got to be in, like, I fought to be in Gifted and Talented. They put me in there. And then because I was already friends with the seniors, the, like, rich, cool kids, like, sort of welcomed me into their clique begrudgingly. Like, I wasn't, like, actually there. But sophomore year was, like, my trial of doing it without the sort of shadow or, like, protection of these rich people or these older people, these seniors. And I always felt like my position was tenuous inside of that group. Um, but they were like my safety and the only sort of social dynamic I had. And then this very nice, very sweet, very white and fun boy shows up. And he's in, I think we had like biology together. 
That was like our main class together. Probably. Or the class where we sat next to each other. Yeah. Um, and like we had like a friendliness to each other. We like actually like were congenial. And then but then you were getting yeah. close to a lot of the people in the clique. Um, and you had also inspired a crush in one girl in the clique. Um, and the girls were my main safety. The girls were the ones who like really mm-hmm. had brought me in. And um I'm gonna change her name, but I want people to hear the sort of like lilt of her name. But it was like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Sarah, Sarah Catherine um, Mayhaw was like basically this girl's name, you know? So Sarah Catherine uh-huh, uh-huh. was t- telling everyone at one party at this one guy's house that she really, um, that she really liked Sam and thought he was really hot. And a couple of the other girls started saying he was really hot. And I, and I started, I was feeling very on the outs of this group at the time. And I felt really weird about being on the outs and not really knowing what to do. And I, in, in my mind, it was like fight or flight. And I was literally like, wow, this white boy is about to replace me and I will go back to being alone. And so I noticed, because I you know, should be on Big Brother or Survivor, that uh, there, was mistr- mm-hmm. there was frustration and mistrust on, the, on behalf of one of the white straight boys who had a crush on Sarah, Sarah Catherine. Um, and he was like, what the fuck? And I was like... Well, you know, I heard, or I feel like Sam might be gay. <laughs> like, literally just, like, a dumb thing a kid wow. says. Just, like, and I guess, like, something inside mm-hmm. of my spirit told me that he, that this boy was like me, you know? Um, and no one mm-hmm. knew I was gay then either. Or that You were not you, out. You were not out, out at the time. I was not out. And they were like, what? And all the girls were like, no way. And all the guys were like, dude, that makes so much sense. And I was like, yeah, guys, I'm dude too. You know, this is my way of getting with the dudes. And I was like, I think he is gay. And then someone was like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. And I was like, you should ask him, maybe. Again, not realizing that this is heinous, just thinking self-protection. And then they called Sam. Yeah. And yeah. It, but the bullying began. Yeah. So I keep in mind, I was new. I was like, had moved here like, you know, a month or two at this point, like very new. And it was all, everyone was pretty unfriendly in that school. Like it was like, <laughs> like I had moved like every two or three years. So I was used to it, but it was like, oh, this is a different um, breed of like clicky and like hard to break into. And, um, so then I, this night I had called this house earlier because I, like we had a science project due the next day or something. Mm-hmm. And like, I had a question about it. And so then I got the call back and I was like, Oh, they're going to answer my question about the science project. And it was like, um, are you gay? And like clearly on speakerphone with like everyone around. And I'm just like at home doing this fucking science project. And I was just like, um, 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 like, I think I just said like, no. And then like hung up or something, but it was like (laughs) very, um, bad. And then it was like, like we were in a basement as well. Like, you know, it was like that type of dark. Yeah. You know, Anyway, uh, and then yeah. your sister called us. And then my sister called back and was like, fuck you guys, like kind of went off. Oh, <laughs> no. And I, again, me, I was thinking that this meant nothing to Sam. It was just like a way of like 
pushing this again in my mind he wasn't actually gay it was like just a thing that was the worst yeah. thing you could say about a boy exactly um, in the south that would get everyone away from you um because like, you also like weren't really like straight you were very straight passing i would say yeah you didn't read gay you know so it was like an insane thing for me to say um or to guess um <laughs> and uh so then, like a month later, you left. You just like switched schools. But I didn't know what had happened. No, no, I stayed there. Oh, but the next year you just went. No, I was still at school there. Oh, I just switched schools. No, I was still there. Wow. I just switched schools. <laughs> no, what? So I remember it like. <laughs> yeah, you went to private school again. Yeah, I went to private But school. it kept kind of happening. Like, it kept like it it heightened because it was like first there was that call and then it was like kind of like spread around and then it was like okay so i remember like one of our girlfriends would be like like was like oh you should date jeremy you should date jeremy and i was like oh my god like what is going on and then like uh, I went to like sit at like at your table at lunch where like that had been my spot and like somebody like one of them was like said something like oh you know are you gonna take like a guide a, a dance or something there was something like an off rude comment and I literally like just didn't set my tray down and like walked to a table of people I didn't know and was like this <laughs> like fuck this um, and for most for most of my life after that night, the literally the thing I remembered was that, right? Like yeah. that thing I did that moment, because I didn't care enough about whatever seed I planted to like water it, you know, it was just yeah. like a protection seed. <laughs> um, yeah. And, yeah. and I was also like really trying to figure out how I was going to get back to like my, the right school for me, um, which still wasn't any better. Technically it was just like at least sm- fewer people. Um, and, and I, but I always thought fondly of Sam as like a nice person. And I felt bad about what I had done because like, I remembered the anger in your sister's voice and recognized that that meant that you were really <laughs> upset. Um, and so I was really yeah. shocked when I saw you a couple years later in Chicago. Yeah. So Dyer? we had fully lost contact. Mm-hmm. And it was like, at like 3 a.m. or something and we i was like with my like gay friends we had just gone to like berlin or whatever it was like after pride yeah yeah and it was crazy and then we like chatted and it was very nice which was weird because (laughs) we were kind of at odds at the end of well well, i I think you didn't necessarily know that i had done this because at the end of the conversation remember i was like we, it was getting along so swimmingly. Like, it was so great, so funny. And I was like, oh, my God, do you want to know the craziest thing? And he was like, what? It's like, it's so weird that you're gay because I one day I randomly said X, Y, or Z, and then they called you and asked you. And he was like, wait, that was you? And I saw, like, yeah, all I had the no camaraderie idea. that had been built between us over this hour-long diner hang. Like, like explode in a moment. <laughs> I didn't realize that that Sam, you only found out it was Jeremy later on. Yeah. 
I so you kind of still you. thought he was your. How, what was your? What was the? What was the relationship between the two of you like after this incident? I mean, Jeremy, you did not come forward as being the one to have initiated it, so you guys kept being friendly with each other. I think maybe I was mean to you after that. Like, yeah, not because like, I knew it was you, but I was like, that group is like mean to me. So I'm just like icing them all out. Yes. I think that like Sam probably, I had this idea that I was closer inside of the group than I was. And, and I definitely felt like you were like persona non grata as well in some ways, because if I became close to you, then that would get, give the group more impetus to invite you back in. Mm-hmm. Um, or even to see me in the same way that like I'd inspired them to see you potentially, which I guess they already did since they were saying we should date. So I guess I, <laughs> yeah. was, I was pretty clocky. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. This really is just like, this is like a microcosm of how gay men destroy one another. <laughs> and to offer a Marxist analysis, if, if the group of popular kids are literally like the heteropatriarchy, it's like, basically you are both doing violence to each other and to yourselves in order to try to in some way fit in or like make yourself into a shape that is able to go into the hole that is created for you yes yeah it was yeah there's also an interesting thing about like it was weird to see the people that were in that group uh like a few of them went to college with me and to see like the <laughs> like they just have like their views change over the four like you know one year into college and you're like of course i love gay people and it's like well i actually remember you bullying me um for being perceived as gay 2 years ago <laughs> um <laughs> so it was like extremely i mean it's always weird that's but some of them are now like republican like partners to like republican candidates and stuff oh god have you noticed that on facebook's or do do you not really see i i i kind of i'm out of contact with most of them i'm very much so as well but sometimes i'll go and do like weird name searches i'm like oh wait you're married to that kind of person wild (laughs) yeah there's a few i like to keep up with on facebook like i don't ever comment on their things but i like to see what they're up to I, find I, do, it awesome. I do feel like I part of the reason I wanted to come on here is to like publicly apologize for something <laughs> that happened privately um because I I feel I've held since that day um in that basement I've held a lot of guilt around what I said and how I said it um and still feel very confused about like the actual re- like I can theorize what made those things come out of my mouth and how they came out of my mouth, but it doesn't excuse the fact that I um, did something that was really horrible to someone else. Um, And I, yeah, I'm very, very sorry. Truly. Um, Well, thank um, you. I'm. Yeah. It's a really, um, it's a fucked up thing. And like, it's funny to laugh about it sometimes to myself to think about the ways in which like, I was like a manipulative mean girl inside of like a group that didn't want me in order to have some semblance of like stability in my life. Um, and how like, and, but you know, it's, it's like my life isn't a narrative. It's not a movie. Like there's no reason to like um, run away from it when confronted with like a person I, I could have been very, very good friends with and could have been an ally with Um in adulthood to say like, yeah, it's fucked up for me not to just say, I am very sorry on the record. 
<laughs> well, yeah, I know this I, is, wow, you know, this all has real. long been forgiven. <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. I, I'm, I'm also, it's a bummer because I also remember how I felt then. And I remember like feeling similarly, like, you know, you gotta, like, I understood the social games and it was like, if I am too close to Jeremy, that will be a red flag to people because if we're both the gay ones, that's like going to be bad. So I should like <laughs> keep him at an arm's length. And uh, so I also feel um, bad about how, you know, we could have been great friends yeah. and, and good uh, allies to each other. And it's too bad that we couldn't be. <laughs> it's uh it's the that's you know that's what's growing up but i don't know growing up in like fucking conservative places make you psychotic but also trauma builds character you know it's true and you know, I, you know, I, podcast exactly. <laughs> damn drag me oh, God. well they they also they like it was they upheld their supremacy by uh, preventing any kind of solidarity between the two of you—that was like a tool of the uh, of the patriarchy. But you know, I also—it's—I'm been... like eighty percent there with my analysis today. But I am—I I really am sticking to it. Yeah, I think it's good. I and it's—you know—I think now it's—it's it's been long buried for the most part. I feel like that time we ran into that diner, into each other in that diner, was like the beginning of like you know a, at this point like a decade long series of like bumping into each other a few times a year at weird gay cities yes, <laughs> and like being like, Whoa, what have you been up to? And our lives are just like, um, constantly, um, in parallel in a weird way. Yeah. Um, and it's, I mean, it was so funny. The second time I ran into you was the night I started dating, um, a bisexual Russian, um, uh, at, at like a weird, um, I mean, I don't think he identified. Oh, you really are a carry. <laughs> But like, it was like, really, I am a carry. Um, but uh, it was like, it was really wild because like we were on the street and then like I ran into you and I was like freaking out because the last time I ran into you, I saw you like any friendship we could have had explode in your eyes. And then I ran into you again in the middle of like Bushwick <laughs> at like 4 a.m. as like I'm on Molly and you probably are as well. Um, and then as I went back to this guy's house who I thought was straight, um, I was just like, like, oh my God, you don't believe in like, I did this fucked up thing and like, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to suck my dick? And then like, that was how, like, that was like, <laughs> it was like I felt like every time I ran into you, something weirder would happen. Like some new weird thing would happen. Um, so yeah. I mean, the last time we ran, we saw each other was uh, on set and you played my director in the TV show. It's true. How fun. Can you believe it? So weird. From it is weird. To this. It's crazy. It's really fucking weird. Um, <laughs> wait, so I wonder about this. Like, have you, do you, because like, I don't know if you like see yourself as like uh, someone who minds your past for narratives, but like bringing it back to Movie Corner, how would you shape that narrative of, <laughs> of your childhood trauma if, and would I be an important character in it? Or would, like, how would that, how would high school the Sam Taggart movie it work for you. Would Francis McDormand play Jeremy? <laughs> That's a good question. I feel like the, the movie, honestly, the Martinsville, my Martinsville era felt like, <laughs> I don't know. It was kind of a good coming of age. Like I kind of needed like 
a bit of a wake up call as to like, I don't like people not liking you. Like I had kind of like hacked like my way through like, you know, social circles every time we moved. And I was like, this is like, I'm good at this. I'm good at this. And then it was like, okay, what, how do you respond when you're failing? And it was like kind of a nice um, wake up call and taught me to like <laughs> look inward and like self-rely. And uh, so I, I definitely like, yeah, I think I, I think I grew from it. And I think the movie would be <laughs> about that growth. Um, not to sound um, too lame, but I remember feeling very proud of myself come like junior year for being like, well liked again and like felt very in control of myself and uh, uh just like I, I didn't like let those that like get me down really Wait, where do, when you were well liked do you feel like you then there was pent up uh negativity and you were you were like now i want to bully someone <laughs> um no i don't think there was yeah I maybe had like maybe keeping everyone at an arm's length too much. Yeah. But not not wanting to bully people. Wait, did you graduate at Martinsville High School? I did. That is so crazy to me. So we Isn't literally, that crazy? I literally just like deleted a, a part of me also like did that act and then repressed it so much that I just like changed the narrative and made it so that you like fully moved towns when I actually <laughs> was the person that like absconded and like hid away in the private school in the corner yeah yeah that's wild it really i mean i have to say as someone who you know moved to a different country when i was 13 like changes in if you go through any kind of life change that coincides with puberty in any way you're fucked (laughs) (laughs) even being static is like difficult enough did you did you ever bully anyone, George? Um, let's see. I mean, I think I've talked about this before, but I, I think I was raised in a family where like joking in almost a mean spirited way was a sign of affection. And I think I did. I do think I unintentionally bullied people in ways I didn't realize were bullying because I was like, I distinctly remember this one girl when I was in, this is when, before we moved back to Greece and I was living in New Jersey who like hated this one picture of herself. And I like, I can't remember exactly what I did, but it was like something along the lines of like printing out the picture and showing it. Like it was something where it was like, Oh, the joke is that she hates the picture and I'm going to like do something funny with it or like send it to people or something. And in my mind, I thought she would feel like she was in on the joke, but I was instead doing the most hurtful possible thing to a girl, like literally a, you know, 12 year old girl who was like at the peak of insecurities about her appearance. But I just, and I'm sure if someone did the sim- a similar thing to me, I would also be hurt. But I, there, there was something about like, for instance, I was very fat growing up and like that was always a source of, everyone in my family would like joke about that. And I had to like, decide i am in on the joke otherwise i because i can't let it be a hurtful thing i can't interpret it it as people like being mean to me it's like oh no it's funny that i'm and then i would start like joking about my weight in school at school and like 
I literally remember like at one point we were, it was some kind of like language exercise and we were supposed to think of like three adjectives that describe us. And one of mine was fat. <laughs> and it's like, but and this was before like fat acceptance. Like it was like a derogatory thing. Yeah. And I was like, yep, this is me reclaiming it. I'm reclaiming it. I'm reclaiming it. Like no one else could, whatever. And so I thought that like, that's how everyone thought. So I thought like, it was okay to make, I, yeah. But so, so yes, I mean, I'm sure that was bullying um, in a sense. And I think I did that a lot. I think I like have a way of like, seeing what people's weaknesses are and thinking it's a form of intimacy to point them out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yes, I do think I acted in ways that were not good. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I just think I, I mean, I have to just rely on the, the, you know, the old truism that hurt people hurt people. I was and, literally about um... to say, <laughs> <laughs> and I was, but it is hurt. true. I mean, and I will just say that like, Sam had a preternatural like uh, sense of light in his eyes um, when he showed up at our school. And um, I felt like he had so much light that it could, it, it, it was fine to try to dim a little bit. Right. Um, <laughs> which is violent. Yeah. Um, but also that was my outlook. Um, Cause my eyes were pitch black. No. <laughs> Uh, um, um sam should we do our final segment i do i mean yeah i think we should this has gone on in the sake of time downer for people like is this how you make a bad podcast just like have this is what we get online and be like hey i'm sorry i hurt you that one time should you do a se- sequence of these with ex-boyfriends <laughs> we've done one with literally someone who sam hooked up with who is like in his words, a Kinsey one married to a woman, and we unpacked him hooking up with Sam on the pod, wow. which is honestly one of my favorite episodes. I agree, Good. and Only I think this one's Sam. also. I mean, he's like wild entanglements that must be unpacked publicly. Yeah, well, George, we're gonna get some for George. We need to get someone for me because I do George, feel a little left out. Our intense sexual uh, attraction to each other. So I, my first, well, not first memory of you, or no, actually, yes, maybe first memory of you is in Fire Island. I was wearing a <laughs> a women's uh, jumpsuit from Nordstrom Rack, um, and oh God, I, I was, I had had like. I'm very much a lightweight when it comes to <laughs> anything other than alcohol. And I had had like maybe a hit of a vape pen or something. And I was just like, I was like acting so mysterious and like <laughs> sensual. And I was just kind of like, oh, hey, George, enchanté. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I was kind of like sitting, I was, I was, I, I distinctly remember thinking to myself, what I'm doing right now is giving him 50% of my attention. Like <laughs> enough where like, Obviously, I we are having an interaction, but also like he knows at any given point I could turn around and not pay attention to him. <laughs> <laughs> exactly the dynamic I need for any man to yeah. fall head over heels in love. And to be fair, you were like, you were your energy was you were not staying at our house, but you would like come through whenever you would be like, you know taking a break from whatever else you were doing and it was just it was very much like i've been because my sister's visiting we've been watching wandavision and it was very much the character of Catherine hahn who's the neighbor she like you just like would knock on the door and be like what's going on here <laughs> uh, and um i knew you know I, we had mutual friends and i knew who you were and i wanted to like come across as cool and i think i almost overdid it to an extent where i was like 
oh, hey. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I do remember very, very clearly you saying I had Leo energy, which I know I've mentioned to you in the past. Yes. Yes. You also had had great eyebrows and are an ethnic white. I am an ethnic white. And I do... I have to say one of the main parts of my life is when I realized I needed to stop tweezing my eyebrows because I'm stronger when I have my full eyebrows. And And I think that on Fire Island, anyone who's not like a blonde white person is just like already getting pluses in my book Um, because there are so many people who are like ethnic at all to be an ethnic white. It's like, whoa, so you're in the top tier of Fire Island (laughs) Um, I mean, it is. I mean, what passes as ethnic on Fire Island is <laughs> depressing. <laughs> it's a low bar. I mean, I do still want you to yeah. do three in me and tell me how much Afrique you have in you because I think you have a little bit. I don't think I. I think I have. Um, you were half white and half black in certain contexts. I think they would believe you. In fact, I Z. That was one of the things that Zoe asked me when I did her show. Was like, was because people Alex English once told me he thought I was half that i was mixed in some way and and shali was sharp i think I, I i was with the two of them and they both said it but i think I'm, i i wouldn't be surprised if i had like middle eastern heritage i think that's what it is i don't think it's i don't think it's black but if i don't you know found if I'll do you were five percent black would you feel more or less excited <laughs> about your heritage um I mean, <laughs> I would wow, this feel is more excited. With right now. <laughs> I would feel more excited in the sense that, like, I had, I, I okay. So, growing when I was living in America, I always thought it's it was a very, yes or no. <laughs> sorry, no, but but I have. So here's the context for this. I always thought when I was in America that it was so cool in my young mind that like people had heritage from all these different places, and all I could say was that I was a hundred percent Greek. So in that sense, it would be a long delayed. Um, what's the word? Gratification that like, oh, I have something interesting about me. I'm not just one thing. Um, but overall, he would not be excited to be black. No, I would. <laughs> I, I will say, I will. I would. I, I, I'm no. You know what? Did you, Jeremy? Did you see this person on Twitter that was like accused of this right? This like food writer was accused of lying about her race. And no. then she she was like, no, I've always been open about being white. But then she spent like 48 hours like tweeting about how she was white. And everyone's like, and I was like, I we get it. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was literally like, OK, I'm sorry this person said this about you. It was uncalled for. But you also don't need to spend 48 hours being like, I have always been open about being white. <laughs> oh, my God. So that's why I hesitated because I was like, yes, it would be exciting. Anything would be exciting in terms of finding out something about my heritage. But I also can't be one of those people that then discovers it and then suddenly is like holding a press conference where I identify as black. <laughs> oh my God. That would be so huge for you though. Yeah. It would. It I mean, would be huge. Well, you know, I mean, for me, one of the most glamorous people is someone who is half Greek, half black, um, Melina Matsukas. Oh, Melina Matsukas is half Greek, half black. I guess that makes sense with Matsukas. I mean, I'm sure there is, I'm sure it's not exactly 50, 50, but in my mind, I, one of her parents is mostly black and one of her parents is mostly Greek or something. Have, so that's have how the, have the Greek, like has Greek society really taking her on? Like is queen and slim, like played in all the movie theaters. Like, <laughs> I mean, Alina I don't know. It's the new, cause remember how my big fat Greek wedding is like, yes. in Greece. It's like, she is a goddess. Well, I'll um, say this. I don't think Melina is 
at Nia Verdalos's level in terms of her reception <laughs> from the Greek community. Um, I personally I like you spearhead fan. It. You should spearhead it with the Greek community. You go back often and be like, guys, we yeah. are really in the middle of the culture right now. No, it's true. It's true. <laughs> I'm gonna, my new thing is... Salons. <laughs> Yeah, my new thing is that Queen and Slim is a Greek movie. <laughs> yes. It's a Greek tragedy. Yeah, that's true. It's true. Could it's it frame true. it under oh that? Oh my god! Yeah. Okay, film corner is back. Um, <laughs> wait, we have to do our final segment. Okay, fine. This fine, is fine, by fine. far our longest episode. This is an epic. I love it. <laughs> wait. Uh, okay, uh, uh, Jeremy. Our final segment is called uh, shout outs, and it is um, a tribute to one of the richest and most uh kind of productive parts of straight culture which is the radio shout out imagine you're a trl giving a shout out to your boys and girls back home um or calling into z100 we'll go yeah sam and i will do them first and then and then you can go so um you know what sam i'll i'll this is truly um I have nothing prepared, but I'm I'm going to go for it. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. What's up, listeners? I want to give a quick shout out to my younger self. Ooh. I've been thinking about you a lot during this episode. And honey, <laughs> you really were not working with much, but you made it work. And now I'm at a place where I'm maybe only 60% irredeemable. And that is iconic. And <laughs> not a lot of people can say that. And I will keep working to make you proud. Um, and I will, in your honor, stop bullying people unintentionally. <laughs> Woo! Woo! Um, that was amazing. That's also like the end of every um, Drag Race season, That's, holding up yes. uh, an image of your younger self. <laughs> That's exactly what that was. Um, okay. Um, what's up, listeners? Um, I just want to give a huge shout out to my blind optimism. I am, you know, in one of the darkest times of my life. And you know what? The sun was shining today and I was like, whatever. Shit's going to be fine. Like, I can't help but think this summer is going to rule. Spring's going to pop off. Soon we're all going to be vaccinated and making out. I simply cannot wait. I think <laughs> money. <laughs> Friendship. Um... <laughs> Love. Mm. Everything is going to be um, flowing in the next few months. coming up for us. <laughs> so uh, I love you, my blind optimism. I've never been wrong. Woo! Woo! Um, All right. Just before I do my shout out, I do have to say that last night I cried while watching. We did, you know, like I went down a YouTube hole with my roommate and my friend Moses. And I, uh, we were got on Glee. And I was like, have you guys ever <laughs> seen Rose's turn from Glee? Um, and they were like, no. And I Who sings it? Kurt does, and it's Kurt's turn. It's Aww. really good. You should watch it. <laughs> um, because it's about him. Tr- oh, actually, this is important. Actually, I'm gonna give my shout out to this. Um uh, okay. okay. Um hey guys, um, this is Jeremy O'Harris here. I really want to give a shout out to multiple things today. First up, I want to give a shout out to Kurt from Glee for living free in his subconscious and telling his dad through the beauty of Sondheim and the song Rose's Turn that like maybe there was no way for him to hide the fact that he was queer and maybe it was time for Kurt to take center stage unlike Rachel Berry and uh, actually sing from his heart. Um, that was, and it, Again, I watched it last night and it made me cry. 
Second up, I want to give a shout out to um, my like unerring sense of self-preservation. Um, I am a Slytherin and I have to recognize that being a Slytherin is the reason why I'm on a podcast right now. It's the reason I could afford my rent right now. And it's the reason I didn't die in Martinsville, Virginia. And although I hurt people along the way, I am grateful that that part of me existed um, because it got me here and able to apologize. Wow. Um, That is very powerful. A a Slytherin and a Gleek. (laughs) (laughs) You were also holding your mic right up to your mouth and it was distorting the sound. I mean, death grips found dead. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. I had to hold the mic. Um, Um, Well, Jeremy, I I think this is a beautiful episode. It's so good. Thank you guys. For oh, it sounds crazy. It, it sounds crazy, insane. but it'll be good. It'll be good. <laughs> um, Jeremy, truly, what a what an absolute delight. Yeah, thank you so much for doing the pod. Thank you guys for having me. Um, okay, I'm gonna go. My friends, how do you arrived. feel? I feel good. 